So if we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Caitlin Stenerson, and I'm the teen associate here at Emmanuel Club, which means that I typically spend our Wednesday nights with our middle schoolers, and Sunday mornings, Dan and I swap off uh, hanging out with our preteens. So thanks for being here. I'm so excited to dive into what God has for us as we continue with our series, Bless. So Bless is a series that our denomination, the Evangelical Covenant Church, has invited us to be a part of so that we can rethink evangelism. Because if we're all honest, as soon as we say the word evangelism, we all start feeling a little bit awkward, right? And you think about all the times that you've seen examples of evangelism that didn't really look like the heart of Jesus, and you start feeling a little uncomfortable thinking, is that my only option? And so we're diving into this series of blessed to talk about what it might look like for us to do evangelism in ways that are natural and and in ways that make sense for our lives and for our neighbors and in ways that bless the people around us. And so in the first week of the series, Chris talked about the be of blessed, which is begin with prayer and how important that it is that whenever we address this topic, that we begin by praying about who God might have us reach out to and how we can go about doing that. The second week, we talked about listening with care and how important it is that in a world that's increasingly noisy, that we're able to listen to our neighbors and truly hear what their needs are. The E of bless that Jason talked about last week was eat together. And how important it is for us to share meals with one another. Today, we're covering the fourth S of bless, which is to serve with love. And how important it is for us as a church community to be people who really understand the heart of Jesus for our neighbors and that we're his hands and feet in a world that so desperately needs it. So for those of you who don't know, I am in my second to last year of seminary. Actually, I just finished it Friday at 11.55 p.m. I checked the time, right? So I have one year left. And this past week, we are wrapping up the preaching class that I've been in this past semester. And for the past three weeks, we've had uh, about four sermons every Tuesday night from 6 to 9 p.m., right? And so we've just been listening to these 20-minute sermons, which, uh, so today I'm going to invite my friends, right? And we're going to go for an hour, but we're actually not. So we were covering our last five sermons on Tuesday night. So five sermons, about 20 minutes each, one right after another with five minutes in between for feedback. We had it timed out, right? So we could hit it perfectly. And it got to about sermon four. And if I'm honest with you guys, I always forget to eat dinner before that class. And so 8 p.m. rolls around and I'm the type of person that gets hangry. Any of you guys that type of person? <laughs> like you just feel the irritation level rising. And it doesn't matter what's happening. You're just like, mm, nah, gotta go. Right? And so we get to the fourth to final sermon. And it's my friend, Adrian. And Adrian is the type of guy where he walks into a room and you just feel the joy radiate off of him. And I've been Adrian's TA for the past year, and Adrian is is an immigrant from uh, Liberia who pastors a church in Coon Rapids. And this man loves Jesus and everyone else in the world so much. And he's a joy to be around. And so Adrian got up and he started to speak. And I, all of a sudden, was doing what we like to call in seminary spiritual yummies. You know how like when you eat, you eat something really good, you're like, "Mm, mm mm-hmm, yep. There's a spiritual yummy where you're reading something really good or you're hearing a good sermon and you're just like, "Mm, mm, mm mm-hmm, yep, right? And so Adrian is talking and within the first five minutes, I out loud go, oh, that's good, right? (laughs) And every eye kind of turns because, you know, we're a Lutheran seminary, so every eye is like, I'm like, oh, that that was good. Because what Adrian had to say was so important and crucial. I think it's something that we need to hear today. So I emailed Adrian this past week and I said, Adrian, can I share what you shared with us to our church? And he gave his blessing. And so I want to share with you what Adrian said. So Adrian, like I said, immigrated from Liberia not too long ago. 
And when he came to America, he said the one thing he couldn't understand was football. He's like, I just don't get it. I don't get it. And I don't get it either, but I get it a little bit more. So Adrian went to his first Vikings game when he came to America. And he said that it was the weirdest experience he's ever had in his entire life. He's like, I'm sitting up there and I'm seeing these men huddle. And I turned to my friend, I said, you pay to watch these men meet in a huddle? Like, that's what you pay for, to see these men meet in a huddle and just sit and talk? And and his friend goes, no, no, Adrian, we don't pay to see the huddle. We pay to see what happens on the field after the huddle. And so Adrian said to us that what happens in the huddle is important, but what happens even more is what we do on the field. And I think that's where we start today, that when it comes to the sermon series, bless what happens in this room is important, but what happens even more is what we do when we leave and we play the game with the world's eyes on us. And so this morning, we're diving into the fourth letter of bless. We're diving into the S, what it looks like for us to serve with love. And so if all eyes are on us, not to see what we do in the huddle, but what we do when game time comes, what better demonstration is there that we get who Christ is than being people who serve with love? And so here is what we know about the world today. We know that according to some of the major health organizations, loneliness is a new health epidemic. We know that the health risk of loneliness is equal to smoking 15 cigarettes per day. And we know that loneliness increases mortality risk by 26%. We also know that as the world becomes more digitally connected, our neighborhoods and our neighbors and our friendships and our families are becoming increasingly disconnected. That as more and more technology brings us together via Facebook and Twitter and text messages, that our actual reach out to our neighbors is reducing and people, even with multiple friends, are feeling incredibly lonely. And I think that service at its core is saying, I see you and I see your need and I'm coming to do something about it. So it's knowing our neighbors and then it's acting based off of what we know. And so the first blank for you to write down today on your note sheet, if you're a note taker, is in a self-centered world, serving with love is a surprise. Then in a world that's increasingly disconnected. In a world in which loneliness increases your mortality risk, in a world in which loneliness is a new health epidemic, serving with love is a surprise. And it's perhaps one of the greatest blessings that we can offer to our communities today. And so just as serving is a surprise for the world today, what Jesus did when he served his disciples is a surprise for the disciples and everyone else in the world. So today's passage that we're diving into comes to us from the end of the Gospel of John. And the setting for this passage is the Last Supper before Jesus' crucifixion. It's the Last Supper where he knew what was coming next and he had one final meal to share with his disciples and to show them what it meant to follow him. And so if you have your Bible with you today, turn with me to John chapter 13 as we look at Jesus' actions and his disciples' reactions. And if you don't have a Bible with you, we would love to send you home with one today. And so we have free Bibles available at either exits. If you don't have one at home, please feel free to take one with you as our gift to you. So John chapter 13 is where we're going to be reading now the Last Supper of Jesus with his disciples, starting in verse 1. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God, and he was returning to God. 
And so he got up from the meal. He took off his outer clothing and he wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not now understand what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Then Jesus answered, but those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him. And that is why he said that not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightfully so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent them. Now, if you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Now, I have to be honest. This passage has always been a little bit uncomfortable for me. And here's why. So growing up, I was a little bit of a teacher's pet, which might actually be an understatement. So growing up, my mom would actually drive my brother home from school first and turn around and get me because I would be walking the hall, going to the teacher's classrooms like, you need any help? You want to like wash your board off? You need help with your paperwork? You got to grade something? I was a teacher's pet, right? And my teacher's petness if that's a word, extended into the Sunday school classroom. Now, in second grade, my Sunday school teacher was a sweet woman in about her 60s or 70s. And we read this passage one day. And in typical Caitlin teacher's pet fashion, I chose every day to sit next to the teacher. So we're reading this passage, and she pulls out some pie tins and some shaving cream and and some towels, and she says, we're going to wash one another's feet. She said, we're going to wash the feet of the person on our left. And I look to my right and see my classmate. And I look to my left and I see my teacher and I go, oh no. And she takes her shoes and her socks off. And I have never seen feet like those. <laughs> like I said, she's a sweet woman. She's a sweet woman, but I have never seen feet like those. And so I'm like in my second grade mind kind of figuring out like, how can I get out of this? Does an allergy to shaving cream exist, right? What's my, what's my out strategy? And I end up washing my teacher's feet. And now ever since then, whenever anybody in a Sunday school classroom says, we should do foot washing with the students, this PTSD brain happens, and I go, no, no, we shouldn't, right? And so Good Friday at ECC, I was back in the kids' room, and they said, you know, we could use some help in here tonight. And I was like, what's that? You guys need me to serve communion? Yeah, yep, I can do that, right? Because I was like, I'm not being around the foot washing. I can't do it. And this passage then, every time I've read it, all I've thought about is the foot washing and how uncomfortable it was for me and how weird it was to have to wash someone else's feet. Now, this was even more radical for Jesus and the disciples, right? I broke out my sandals for the first time in the summer this past year, and it only took about an hour for my feet to feel a little bit grimy. Now, imagine, imagine the disciples in homemade shoes walking miles on dusty, dirty roads. Those feet might be worse than the ones I experienced in second grade. Maybe. Right? Imagine those feet being washed. 
And on top of that, in the ancient world, touching feet was regarded as menial slave work. And it was primarily assigned to Gentile slaves and women. It was slave work meant for slaves and women. And most meals at the time were eaten the same way that I eat my meals when I'm watching Netflix. By laying on your stomach, leaning on one arm, reaching with the other arm with your feet behind you. Which also meant that as the Gentile slaves or the women washed your feet, it was easy to ignore the job that they were doing. You never once had to look back at them. But you have Jesus, who's the rabbi and a man, and he's engaging in this activity with his disciples, and he is hard to ignore in this situation. One commentary that I read actually said that this is literally the only example in ancient literature where foot washing by a leader occurs. And in the only other example that they have that's even close to this, it's actually a rebuke of the leader washing the disciples' feet. This is the only time in the ancient world that a leader washes the feet of his disciples. And not only does Jesus wash their feet, but he removes his clothing, he takes a towel, and he wraps it around his waist in the style of a servant. And he uses that same towel that's wrapped around his waist to wipe the feet of the disciples. And so as a rabbi and a man, and God at that, who would be fully within his right to wait for his feet to be washed by the servants, Jesus radically takes on the form of a servant and he washes the feet of those around him to demonstrate what it looks like for us to be truly humble and to truly serve with love. This was a radical act in this story. And this story is bookended by two verses. It begins in verse 1 by saying this, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And then you look down later in the passage, past where we even read this morning into verse 34 and 35, and you see that Jesus says this, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. What Jesus does here is he gives a new commandment. And so we learn through this passage that serving with love isn't just a suggestion. That actually serving with love is one of the big commandments that Jesus gave his disciples to do, that Jesus gives us to do. And so what he does here is he doesn't allow us to explain away service as unneeded. He doesn't allow us to explain away service as too difficult. He doesn't allow us to explain away service as not expected of us as followers of Christ. And so I would say that service is just as crucial to the Christian existence as prayer, scripture reading, participation in Christian community, confession and repentance, and a personal relationship with Jesus. That it's just as crucial to the Christian life that we serve. It's a commandment that we were given. And in this passage, we see that serving with love doesn't just mean serving the people we like, right? It's so much easier for us to just serve the people that we like, the people that are easy for us to get along with, the people that are right within our proximity, the people that we actually enjoy spending time with as we're serving them, right? But whenever we read scripture, we want to note who is and isn't in the story. And so in this story, you have Jesus and you have the 12 disciples. So you have Peter. You have James, you have John, you have Andrew, you have Bartholomew, who sometimes is called Nathaniel, the man with two names, James the Younger, Jude, Matthew, 
Philip, Simon, Thomas, and Judas. And Judas. And so immediately following verse 1, which tells how Jesus loved his own to the end, John writes that the evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And later in the passage, it's clear that Jesus knew that this betrayal was coming. That as he sat at that dinner, he knew what Judas was about to do. And Bruce Anderson, this morning after the first service, told me something interesting. He said that the historical understanding of how the Last Supper happened has Jesus sitting in between John on one side and Judas on the other. Now the spots on either side of him were reserved for people with whom he was giving high honor. And so knowing what Judas is about to do, Jesus sits him next to him and he washes his feet. Think for a moment. Who are the people in your life who are most difficult for you to serve with love? Maybe it's the neighbor who always seems to need help but is never available when you need help, right? Somehow they always have a meeting they have to get to right away. But it's the neighbor who always needs your help. Maybe it's a parent who you have a really rocky, difficult relationship with. Maybe it's just people who feel too different than you. People that you feel like you just can't relate to. And whoever you feel it's difficult for you to serve, Jesus wants you to serve them too. And just as Jesus washed the feet of Judas, knowing what he was about to do, we are called to serve not just the people we like, but even, and maybe even especially, the people who it's difficult for us to like. Serving with love, you see, is just as much about heart as it is about action. As Jesus is radically serving the disciples, we see that Peter raises an objection, starting in verse 6. It says this, He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but wash my hands and wash my head as well. And Jesus answered, those who have a bath only need to wash their feet because the rest of them is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him, and that's why he said not everyone was clean. And Jesus, in this phrase, in this section, he does something really interesting. Now, I'm not a Greek scholar, and if I'm honest, I only took Hebrew in seminary, only so I wouldn't repeat the mistake of ordering a supreme pizza in Israel, only to get a pizza with olives and onions and corn on it. But some of the Greek scholars who have read this passage note that Jesus does something really, really interesting here. He actually uses two different Greek words that have similar but really different meanings. And so the first one is a word that's uh, pronounced niptine, which means wash. And then there's another word, luin, which means bathed. So similar words, vastly different meanings. And in the New American Commentary, a guy who is an expert in the Greek and an expert in John says this. He says, Jesus' play on words suggests that Peter misunderstood the meaning of foot washing to be a mere washing of feet. Whereas the washing was, in fact, much more. It actually refers to Jesus' bathing of the disciples with a new perspective. 
And so Peter's objection is coming from a place of not understanding what Jesus is fully doing. He thinks it's just about washing the dirt and grime off of his feet so that they can enjoy their supper. But what Jesus is doing is giving them a new perspective on servanthood and humility. And so when we serve with love, it's just as much about our hearts as it is about our actions. And when we follow in Jesus' footsteps of radical servanthood, we do more than simply address the physical needs of our friends, our neighbors, and our family members. And we actually serve from the heart and we address their heart needs. So shoveling a neighbor's driveway gives them peace of mind. Bringing a meal to a neighbor who lost a relative or friend demonstrates the comfort of our Lord. Helping a coworker with a difficult project demonstrates sacrificial love. Or teaching a family member or a friend something new gives them knowledge that they wouldn't have otherwise had. So serving with care, therefore, is just as much about the heart as it is about the action, and we can't miss either one of those parts. It's just as much about the heart behind it, the heart of Jesus that we're showing, as it is about the actual action that we're doing for the people who are in need. Serving with love is radical. And we're only able to serve with love because we know where we stand in the lineup. We serve with love because we know where we stand in the lineup. You see, this entire passage builds to Jesus' words in verses 12 through 17. It says, When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, so you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. In ECC Teen Middle School, the past five weeks, we had covered a series that we called Press In, where we talked about some of the issues that our teens are facing, some of the issues that are most critical in the world today, like how to hold power well, how to treat people who disagree with us. And one of the overarching themes that we had with our middle schoolers was that Jesus sets the ultimate example for our actions. And in fact, this past Wednesday, Dan asked, uh, asked me, if you have one piece of advice for the middle schoolers this summer and the high schoolers, what would it be? I said that Jesus sets the ultimate example of our actions. That whenever we want to do as Jesus did, we dig into his word, see how he lived, and then we go out and set that as our ultimate example for what we are called to do next. And so Jesus in this is talking about the lineup that exists. He says, you call me teacher, you call me rabbi, and you call me Lord, and that's what I am. He says, but I've set this example for you that I'm also a servant. And so he says, as I've served you, you must serve one another. You see, we all know that we're not greater than the master, right? And that if Jesus sets the example of footsteps that we should walk in, that we then follow and do exactly what he does. And so we serve a God who radically serves, who radically takes on the posture of a humble servant and serves with love. And so who are you called today to radically serve? Who are you called to follow in the footsteps of Jesus as you serve the people that are hard to love with your whole heart and with actions that make a difference in their lives. And all throughout this series, we'll be hearkening you guys back to the excellent blessed inserts that the Covenant Church has provided for us. And there are two reasons really why I think these are excellent. The first 
is I believe they're a really well-done way for us to talk about evangelism in ways that aren't scary, right? Because normally you say the word evangelism, and even, even like as someone like me, I'm just like, ooh, yep, okay, that feels weird and uncomfortable and kind of hard, right? And so it's a way for us to talk about evangelism and think about evangelism on our own time that isn't scary. And if you guys have kids or preteens in the preteen programming, they're covering the same stuff today. And so what you can do is you can go home and you can use the inserts that you have and you can talk with them about the, the things that they've received and you can have this conversation as a family. And so it's a really well done way for us to have the conversation in a way that isn't scary, right? And secondly, this causes us to be intentional about our blessing. So the first blessed insert, begin with prayer, can always be found at the connect table in the lobby. And it has a place for you to write down three to five people that you will be praying through throughout this series. And you don't have to stop at the end of the series, right? The clock doesn't run out. It's like, oh, dang, it totally would have, but I missed it, right? You can keep praying for those people all throughout your life, right? All throughout the year. And I know for me, I've kept my blessed insert inside my Bible so that whenever I'm working on something, I'm reminded to pray for those people. And so think of a spot in your house that you can set that set, you're reminded of it. And I want you to know that that has two bookmarks for you. So one, you keep yourself, and the other one you can drop in the black mailboxes. And if you've already dropped one in the mailboxes, know that as a church staff and as a team, we've been praying for the same people that you're praying for every week. That each of us have bookmarks with names on it that we're specifically praying about. And when we go this summer to the Covenant Annual Meeting, the entire Covenant Church will be praying over those names. And so you are not on this journey alone as we figure out how to bless our neighbors. And in fact, you're surrounded by multitudes of voices who are praying over those same people, and also in our own lives figuring out what it looks like for us to bless our neighbors too. This week, if you look in your bulletin, the handout has a section for you to answer the question, how might God be calling you to serve your three to five people in love over the next few weeks. And it provides some great ideas for you right on there. It provides you ideas like dropping off a meal or babysitting their kids or keeping them company or giving or lending something. I think that brainstorming these ideas ahead of time helps us to recognize opportunities when they come and respond really well in love to our neighbors around us. And I'm so proud to be in a church family who really gets this. So this past April, I found myself in a little bit of a tricky situation. It was the April snowstorm, the infamous one, that will go down in history, in my mind. And it was after church on Sunday morning, right? And the drive into church that day was beautiful. I was a little nervous about it. And I drove and I was like, oh, this is easy, all right. And so I got a little confident. Some might say cocky, I'll say confident. I got a little confident. I thought, oh, my driving all day will be this good. And so I, uh, I was driving home, actually, from the house's house in New Brighton. and I didn't make it very far. You see, with my NASCAR-level expert driving skills that I've always had ever since I was 16, don't ask my parents, they'll tell you differently, I thought that it would be a good idea to shift out a four-wheel drive while I was on the freeway. Because I thought, these roads are easy. I'm going to go over 50 miles per hour, no problem. I don't want to have four-wheel drive on now. So I shifted out of it, and no sooner did I shift out of it than I spun off into the ditch. And this wasn't like an easy spinoff. We were just like, oh, that's a bummer. Hit the gas and go, right? I look back and the whole back windshield is snow. And I look out my window and the snow is probably like up to here on me. And I have this moment that just goes, oh no. 
This isn't, I'm not getting out of this, right? So I turned my car off because I knew that my exhaust was absolutely buried. There was no chance my exhaust wasn't buried, right? So I turned my car off and it starts getting a little chilly and I'm on the phone with my parents and they're calling tow trucks because I was the only one in my family that was in the metro area that weekend. So they're calling tow trucks and you know the weather is bad when the tow trucks aren't going out. That's like a good sign you should stay home. If you ever hear like the tow trucks aren't going to be towing people tonight, do not go on the road. And especially don't go on the road without four-wheel drive. I learned my lesson, right? So the tow trucks are saying, we're not towing tonight. We're not going out. I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh no. And so the first text that I send is to Kelsey Crenshaw. I say, hey, Kelsey, how's it going? Um, any chance that Tim would like to tow someone out of a ditch tonight? Because I know Tim. I know Tim's truck, right? Tim and I have talked about lifting my Jeep. I know he's a handy guy. Said, any chance he'd want to tow someone out of a ditch? Now, keep in mind, it's snowing. I mean, you can barely see the lines on the road. Kelsey's next text to me is, yeah, sure, he's on his way with Aiden. And I'm like, oh, man. And I had this moment as I sat there that I just thought, how amazing is it that in a church like us, when the tow trucks aren't hitting the road, that we have people in our church family who are still going out. And I told Tim I wouldn't tell you guys the end of the story to save his pride, but we did break two tow straps, right? But how amazing is it that we have a family that's self-sacrificial with their servanthood? That when it comes to serving others, they say, yeah, of course. And I heard from Tim and Aiden that they actually stopped and towed a few other cars out of the ditch that night as they drove home. How amazing is that, that we have a church family where when push comes to shove and somebody needs something, that we have a family that's there and ready and willing to go. How amazing and rare and unique is that? And so imagine our neighborhoods, if that for each of us was our natural inclination, that to serve with love was naturally something we did. And imagine if we treated serving with love as a commandment, not just a nice suggestion if we get around to it. Imagine especially if we served with love to those who are difficult. And imagine if we did so with heart, not just with our actions in mind. And imagine if we did it because we understood who Jesus is. And in doing so, we were able to point to him as our source of inspiration, our ultimate example in a lonely, disconnected world. Imagine the impact that that could have in our community if we served with love every chance that we got. Imagine the shock and awe of the people around us, that in a world where service is a rarity, that as the body of Christ, we're the first people on the scene. Imagine. And so if you don't have a television or social media, uh, you might have missed what happened yesterday. It was my 25th birthday. Um, that's, actually not, that's actually not the big news event. Uh, the big news event is that the new uh, Duke and Duchess chose a really good day to get married because they chose my birthday. And they had their royal wedding. And whether you woke up at 4 a.m. or you just checked in at 10 p.m. when you watched the local news, it was a really interesting and intriguing day for a lot of different reasons. And at the wedding, a sermon was given that had Oprah swaying in her seat and the royal shocked, which, as people who probably practice the stone face, I'm sure is a feat, right? So Bishop Michael Curry spoke on love. And he didn't give the traditional a cord of three strands is not easily broken or the 1 Corinthians 13 sermon. And instead, he spoke on the power that love can have in our communities if we do it really well. 
And so referencing an old gospel song that the slaves used to sing, he had this to say. He said, there's a balm in Gilead to make the wounded whole. There's a balm in Gilead to heal the sin-sick soul. One of the stanzas actually explains why they said, if you cannot preach like Peter and you cannot pray like Paul, you just tell the love of Jesus how he died to save us all. Oh, that's the balm in Gilead. This way of love is the way of life. They got it. He died to save us all. He didn't die for anything he could get out of it. Jesus didn't get an honorary doctorate for dying. He wasn't getting anything out of it. He gave up his life. He sacrificed his life for the good of others, for the good of the other, and for the well-being of the world. For us, that's what love is. And he went on to say that love is not selfish and self-centered. Love can be sacrificial. And in doing so, it becomes redemptive. And that way of unselfish, unselfish, sacrificial, redemptive love, it changes lives. And it can change this world. If you don't believe me, just stop and think and imagine. Think and imagine. Well, think and imagine a world where love is the way. Imagine our homes and our families when love is the way. Imagine neighborhoods and communities where love is the way. Imagine governments and nations where love is the way. Imagine businesses and commerce when love is the way. Imagine this tired, old world when love is the way. Unselfish, sacrificial, redemptive. When love is the way, then no child will go to bed hungry in this world ever again. When love is the way, we will let justice roll down like a mighty stream and righteousness like an ever-flowing brook. When love is the way, poverty will become history. When love is the way, the earth will be a sanctuary. When love is the way, we will lay our swords and shields down, down by the riverside to study war no more. When love is the way, there's plenty good room, plenty good room for all God's children. Because when love is the way, we actually treat each other well. Like we're actually family. When love is the way, we know that God is the source of us all. And we are all brothers and sisters, children of God. My brothers and sisters, that is a new heaven, a new earth, a new world, a new human family. And let me tell you something. Solomon was right in the Old Testament. That's fire. This sermon was heard around the world to a world that's weary and in need of hope and love and redemption and restoration. That we follow in the footsteps of a God who served and loved and laid down his life for the people he cared about. And so as we do that, we're empowered to make choices that are sacrificial in our communities. We're empowered to serve in ways that shock and awe our neighbors and our friends and our relatives. We're empowered to serve not just the people we like, but the people who it's hard for us to serve. Because Jesus set the example that knowing full well what Judas was about to do, he still washed his feet and put him in a place of honor at the table. And so we're invited to follow in this footsteps of this God who radically served and loved. And we're invited to imagine what our neighborhoods and our families and our workplaces might look like if we also served with love. And that's a blessing to our neighbors and our friends and our family and our workplaces in a world that's so hungry for connection and love and peace and restoration. So let's pray. God, we thank you so much that you set the ultimate example for us in love. We thank you so much that you are a God who has not only told us to do it, but that you've done it yourself. 
that we can trust that your word is true, that we can trust that what you've told us to do works and is important and is close to your heart because you did it yourself. God, we thank you for your authenticity in showing us what it looks like to live out your life. And we pray that as we leave here today, as we leave the huddle, God, that you would help us to be more like you in our communities, that you would help us to serve with love. And as we continue to worship you, God, may you bring specific people and instances and opportunities to our mind that we might walk in your pathway, God, that we might follow your example, that we might serve you as master and Lord and teacher, and in doing so, that we might love our communities better and serve them with your grace. In your name we pray. Amen.